welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. I hope everyone is having a great morning. It's cozy for me, but better to be in his presence this morning. Our Bible reading is taken from the book of Mark 4, chapters 26 to 34. I'll read it shortly, and when I'm done, um, I would end with, this is the word of the Lord, and I humbly ask that you respond with thanks be to God. I read, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First, the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say of the kingdom of God? What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not see anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, thank you very much, Tosin, for the reading. God bless you. And uh, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing today? Um, yes, and special welcome to anyone who this is. If this is your first time, we're really glad that you're worshiping with us today. We are coming to the end of a particular series that we've been um, treating for, for a few months now. And so we hope that you'll be blessed by being here. I had a different introduction for today. Um, you know, like with everyone, once you get the opportunity, on the stage, with all that happened during the week, you have to have your own Hilda Bassi story. <laughs> and I, I had one. I had the Hilda Bassi story. Um, but things changed because um, on Friday afternoon, um, I lost one of my heroes. Um, Some of you have heard of the name Tim Keller before, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you, some of you have been uh, directly impacted by him. 
at least I know some of us here that have been directly impacted by him. Um, but I, I suspect that a lot of us, you know, don't even know who that is. Um, and maybe the picture will be shown of him. It's already there. Yeah. Um, you know, apart from he was, he was uh, one of the, I would say, the most influential Christian ministers of the last century. And it's not, don't take my word for it, just, just Google him and you'll see. Um, but in particular, this city church Lagos, I can say, would not be here the way it is today, if not for him. Um, you know, as I was meditating on this passage again, um, it really, really reminded me about him. Um, you know, when I, no one, and I mean this, you know, I'm not saying this in the moment, but the truth is, in terms of ministry, there is no single person that has had a greater impact on me. So on, um, you know, Friday afternoon, I was going somewhere and I had not been on social media for a while. So I just, I don't know what made me tune in. And at that point, I didn't even know that prayers were being asked for him that he had returned from, uh, to hospice care. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. But I thought, okay, hospice care, you know, it will be for a few, a few weeks, you know, few, few, maybe even three months, you never know. And then within three hours or four hours of missing that he was, he was gone. Um, and so when I went back and just looked at my sermon again, you know, it made, it, it was almost like poetic justice, like God did something. Because honestly, when I think about this passage, as I said, you cannot, at least from what I knew about his life, he was all about this. He was all about this. Um, you see, in this series, we were trying to introduce the person of the Son of God. And the ministry of Jesus um, in chapter 1, verse 15, is actually very clear about what Jesus came to do. Jesus said that he came, right, to bring about the kingdom of God. Basically, he says that the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So at the outset of his ministry, Jesus started with the kingdom of God. Now, fast forward, we see a number of things happen in chapter 2, chapter 3. When you get to chapter 4, something unique happens. He starts to use these things called parables. What does he use the parables for? The parables are to explain the kingdom of God. That's what you see in verse 33 and verse 34. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So these parables were to explain a little bit more about this kingdom that he was bringing. Now, the first of these parables took it treated for us two weeks ago. Last week, Modrella did a fantastic job with the next parable. But we're going to talk about the two parables that he, he finishes with today. He says something unique about this kingdom. With these two parables. He says it really, he says the same thing with these two parables. First of all, 
Look at what he says. He says, the kingdom of God is like. He says that in the two parables. The verse 30, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. In verse, in verse, that's 26. In verse 30, he says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? And when he wants to describe it, what does he say? Well, in verse 30 again, he says, the kingdom is like a man scatters his seed on the ground. In verse 30, he says, it's like a mustard seed. Now, that's just the setup for the parable. But the characteristic that he's trying to point out there, you see that word occur twice, again in the two parables. It's this, that the kingdom of God grows. The kingdom of God grows and it what endures. Verse 27, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Verse 32. Yet when planted, it grows. At this point, Jesus is not saying something that the prophets have not said. In particular, we think about a guy called Daniel. Daniel was an administrator, a high-ranking administrator in the kingdom of Babylon, the empire of Babylon, but he was also a prophet. And so the empire, King Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. And he got all his wise men and said, before you can interpret the dream, tell me the dream. And none of them could do that. So Daniel came and Daniel told him the dream and then gave an interpretation. I just take some aspect of the dream and the interpretation that Daniel gave. Look at what he says in Daniel chapter 2, verse um, 20, uh, 34 to 35. He says, while you were watching, a rock, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. This is still the dream. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. There was, an, there was a statue that was in that dream made of iron and clay. And now this rock had now hit it. He says in verse 35, uh, sorry, verse 35. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Now here's the interpretation in verse 44 and 45. He says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up what? A kingdom that will never be destroyed. It endures. Itself uh, will never be uh, destroyed. Itself will endure forever. Verse 45 and then says, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out from the mountain. So we see before Jesus said these things, centuries before, that Daniel is saying that there's going to be a kingdom that will come like a rock, and then that kingdom will destroy all other kingdoms, and eventually that kingdom will fill the earth. Jesus said, well, it is like a seed that actually grows and then produces grain, or like a mustard seed that actually grows and becomes a tree, and a tree gives us fruit, and the fruit gives us more seed. In other words, it's not just that it grows, it's that it endures. The kingdom of God grows, and it endures. Tim Keller was all about that agenda. The growth of the kingdom of God. You see, after pastoring a small church in a rural part of America, Hopewell, Virginia, for nine years, then he taught in a seminary for five years, he got a call to go and uh, start a church in Manhattan, in New York, in 1989. Well, between 88 and 89. Now, just so you understand, back in those days, the mantra was that cities were where churches went to die. And so when he decided to take that up, really, it was, some called it a theological suicide mission. At that time, less than 0.5% of people that were in Manhattan, New York, were Bible-believing Christians. I hope you heard what I said. 
not less than 5%, less than what? 0.5%. Some people even have it as somewhere around less than 0.1%. And so he went there to plant a church. And as I said, people said, you are going crazy. This thing will not work. But he and his wife and his kids moved there in 1989. And as they planted, they started to see something he was, as they planted, they started to see something he was convicted about. The fact that people were going away didn't mean that the church was meant to go away. Why? Because he believed that when God says, or Jesus says, go to the world and make disciples of all people. He said, well, we don't have to just go to the world. If the world is coming to cities, then we should be in cities. And so as they planted that church in 1989, by the time he stepped down or out of the pulpit in 2017, 5% plus of, New, of Manhattan has started going to Bible-believing churches. I thought you could say amen to that. That is, in just, in less than 30 years, that population had more than gone tenfold. Now, of course, it wasn't exhaustively because of him, but he had a significant impact. And I'll tell you how. Because it wasn't just that the church grew. He was about growing the kingdom of God. And so they started mentoring, finding young church planters, and they were teaching. They set up something called the Church Planting Center in New York. They were teaching church planters that were there. They were investing, giving them money, starting churches all around building networks here and there. In fact, some of us were here a few months ago. A friend that was in New York called Jordan Rice came and preached here. How many of us remember with the wife? Well, they were part of the fruit of that ministry. And so they started to see things grow in New York. But then, because they felt that it was not just about New York, it was about the cities in the, in the world, they started to reach out to cities in the U.S. Fast forward, that vision grew from cities in the U.S. to cities all around the world and gave birth to an organization called City to City. And the God affiliated with City to City a couple of years ago. And that's why I said, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, City to Lagos will not exist without him. Is the near, if I can say, sole reason why my wife and I moved back to Lagos. Because the truth is, when I went to study, I wasn't planning on coming back because I was tired. Lagos was growing at a fast rate, faster rate than I could imagine. Like, um, I remember I used to remove my shirt in traffic whilst driving. I used to eat. I used to, I, I knew how to eat rice, moi moi, and salad whilst driving. I'm not advising anybody does that here. But I remember listening to a number of sermons of his and he was talking about God's vision for cities, God's vision for cities, and talking about the cities of the world and talking about mega cities. And then I realized I was born and raised in a mega city. I remember hearing his sermon on Jonah chapter 4 when he talked about God loving Nineveh. And so I got that call to come back. I remember devouring so many of his sermons so that when I started to preach in 2017 and maybe 2018, 19 after, Dami called my 2017 sermons the New York sermons. Language gospel-centered, I really heard from him. Passion for justice, that we are doing Justice Sunday next week, I really got that from him. The talk of renew, the word renew was really because I used to hear the word renew from him. The organization of City to City not only trained me personally, I was in New York for 
a number of months. And then also they were able to link us to three churches that funded City Church at the start. The word city in City Church really exists because of that. It was really about growing the kingdom. You know, after he was diagnosed um, with pancreatic cancer three years ago, I wrote to someone that was very close to him. One of his top three ministry partners, they set up that church planting center together in the early 90s. They eventually set up City to City together, and he was still with City to City to this day. He was a mentor to me, this person, and he's even visited here twice in the early days. I wrote to him to try to encourage him because I felt, you know, as someone that's really close to him, I've seen him and everything, he needed encouragement. As typical, he was an older guy. Rather than see the young guy encourage him, he wrote back to me and wrote a long text. I just want to read the latter part of that text to you. He said, Tim's death will be a grievous one when it comes. Remember, this is three years ago. He has deeply affected many people, men and women, business people in the arts, business people, people in the arts, ministry leaders, organizations like the Gospel Coalition, Acts 29, and even our own denomination and countless others. I think he has changed the course of Christianity in his generation. And this last line gets me. Apologies if I don't make him well. He says, He says, and I hope leaders like you will aspire to have that same generous spirit while maintaining robust, orthodox, biblical theology. Guys, um, this sermon is meant to be for God's glory. It is always going to be for God's glory. And for those of you who have come in today to give your time, it's going to be for your benefit. Well, I want to say that if you will permit me to do something a bit inappropriate. I want to dedicate this sermon to Tim Keller as my own little attempt to follow in his footsteps of trying to play my role and enable this church to play its role in growing the kingdom of God. Let us pray. How can you walk when you don't know the way of the Lord? How can you run when you don't know the way of the Spirit? How can you fly when you don't know the way of the wind, the power at work in Bringing everything in obedience to Christ. Working everything, working everything in obedience to Christ. Please swallow your pride. 
Today, come to the school of the Spirit. Don't you know that in His hands are the keys to eternal life? It's a little here and a little there until the day will dawn. He is at work in you, working everything in obedience to Christ. Changing everything. Changing everything. In obedience to Christ. Redirecting everything. Redirecting everything. In obedience to Christ. everything. Can you say that prayer for yourself this morning? That God will change everything in your life and bring it to the obedience that is in Christ. That God will move things around for you and bring it to obedience in Christ. To obey Christ is to see that the kingdom of God that has been given to the Messiah that is risen, it advances and it grows. But it does it through the people that are the citizens of the kingdom. And so, Lord God, we come to you this morning. We come to give you glory, but we come to hear from you. That this kingdom that started like a stone and has hit all kingdoms that have existed and opposed it. Father, do not allow the advance of this kingdom to stop in our generation. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your servant that has departed and thank you that he has served the Lord in his own generation. But now, Lord God Almighty, we receive the battle. And we decide, oh God, with the same heart of faith, looking towards you, that everything shall be brought into obedience with Christ. So we lift our hearts, oh God, this morning. We lift our minds, oh God, this morning. Minister to us strongly from your throne of grace that the kingdom of God may advance. That the kingdom of God may grow. That the kingdom of God may again be like the light that is shining in a dark place. That it shall be exalted above every mountain, above every hill that does not know God. That everyone will say that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that the reason Lord, the maker of heaven and the earth, will once again reign supreme. Bring in everything. In obedience to Christ. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've titled this sermon, Participating in Growing God's Kingdom. And we're looking at it under three uh, headings. If you want to know also, Tim Keller affected me with three points. He always preached with three points, just saying. So the first one, middle participants, strategic participants, and flourishing participants. Middle participants, strategic participants, and flourishing participants. So let's start with the first one. Um, there's a chart I want to show you. Um, when, you think about, when we think about the kingdom of God growing, I want you to understand this. How does it grow and how do we see the impact? Can I have the chart, please? How do we grow and how do we see the impact of the kingdom of God? 
if you think of the growing kingdom of God, there are at least three different places where it affects, right? Three different spheres. And if you notice, you know, the, the, the green is darkest in the middle. And then the first sphere is lighter, the second sphere is lighter, and the third sphere is lighter. So the first place it affects is where we find spiritual renewal, right? We find spiritual renewal. The next phase is social renewal. And then the third phase is what? Cultural renewal. Now, let me explain them. Spiritual renewal is the core of how the kingdom of God affects us. That is, it is about seeing people individually brought into the kingdom and transformed in the kingdom. This is what John says, that you cannot enter the kingdom of God except you are born again or born of the Spirit. Right? It is when people... Live, give their lives or believe, repent and believe. Remember Jesus said, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. When people do that, they enter into the kingdom. I've often, I've often said that the kingdom of God or entering the kingdom, the kingdom of God's agenda is really a migration agenda. It is the eternal jackpot agenda. Do you understand that? It is about going from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But also those who are in that kingdom are transformed spiritually also by that kingdom. So that's spiritual renewal, individual people being converted and transformed. The second is social. If you are experiencing true spiritual transformation, then the people that you relate with, then your relationships start being affected. So it affects our marriages. It affects our parenting. It affects our relationships at work. It affects our inter-ethnic relationships. Amen. The social renewal. And then the third form of transformation is where it now starts to affect artifacts or, or things, systems in our cities and our nation. So it starts to affect or transform politics, arts, entertainment, education, business, and all of those kinds of things. Now, remember, how do you enter the kingdom? It is spiritual renewal. Nobody enters the kingdom by being affected, simply being affected by the kingdom's um, social impact. Are you following me? It's not that you do justice and when you do justice to people or you give money to beggars that they enter into the kingdom. They feel the impact of somebody who has experienced spiritual renewal by the kingdom. Amen. And the same thing culturally, our work and all those things. So I can live out as a citizen of the kingdom right, in my place of work, and they start to see good uh, effects in the place of work. But that's not how people enter. Eventually, people can only enter if they are born again. And so, if this is the qualitative effect of the kingdom, you also have to see this. It has a numeric effect as well. Because don't forget, the spiritual renewal is about people entering. It's about people entering. Jesus says, go to the world and make disciples of nations. When he's saying that, he's not saying make disciples of Nigeria or Germany. He's saying the people that are there. And so as the kingdom grows, actually, more people enter into it. Are we following? So if you're thinking the qualitative growth of the kingdom, you must also think the quantitative growth of the kingdom. So the question is this. Thank you. With that, I'm done with that. The quality... Um, who gets the growth done? Who gets the growth done? Is it the owner of the kingdom? And who is the owner of the kingdom? The hint is in the name, the kingdom of. All right. Is it the owner of the kingdom or is it the citizens of the kingdom? Is it God or is it us that gets the kingdom growing? Well, let me, ask, let me answer it this way. 
My doctorate supervisor was a guy who was originally from Bosnia. Bosnia, I believe. I don't, maybe Serbia or Bosnia, but I think it was Bosnia. And he moved to England in the early 90s after the Balkans War. As some of us, if you know your history, you know that Bosnia was terribly devastated by that. And so he moved there, he studied, he, did his, uh, he got his bachelor's and his PhD in the 90s there. And um, they got married, got settled, and now he was employed in the university uh, that I went to study. Now, we had a fairly good relationship, but there was something he used to do that used to irritate me. It used to make me squirm. Right? It was the way he spoke his English. His English was pretty good, but there was a particular thing, an annoying habit that he always used to display. He had a problem with excluding definite articles. You know what definite articles are, right? The, the, uh, 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 and, uh, and, right? So he will often say something like this. Um, when are you submitting paper? I, you know, the first couple of times I allowed it to pass. He said, you and I should go and have beer. But first of all, I don't think I went with him for that one because I was a good Christian. Um, you know, he would like, I felt like saying, do you have a problem with the, you know, the, 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 the paper, the paper? Have a beer, you know? One day, I don't know, I never voiced it out, but I suspect, I suspect that he started seeing my face squirm a little bit. So one day, he told me, um, he explained that, you know why he omits definite articles? He says because in his language, they actually don't have any definite articles. And that taught me a really important lesson about language and translation. You know why some of us uh, who are not, uh, maybe your parents raised you well, but you were a terrible child, right? Your parents spoke the language, your language to you, but you didn't really understand. So you understand a little bit. So you go to your grandma's house, and now you are forced to speak your language. Have you ever noticed that when you do that, after you've left there, you go with, you come back with a headache? Do you, have you noticed? When you're trying to speak a language, you know the reason why we have headaches, literal headaches? It's because if you grew up in a particular language, you think in that language. When you want to speak in another language, first of all, you can't just switch your thinking. You think, so for instance, take your um, 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 Igbo and, uh, um, and English. So imagine you grew up speaking Igbo, and now they now bring English into, uh, into your miserable life, right? And, and so now you're trying to speak this you know, English, but you, are, you think in Igbo. So now you have to translate it in your mind. So your mind is already working for you to speak. But now you have to do the translation. So all of a sudden, you don't be like... Because languages have their own structures. Each language has structure. It's not just a simple translation word for word. And so when you try to translate one language to another, sometimes we lose different things. In his case, he lost the definite article. There are other, even more complicated situations. Take, for instance, ancient Greek. If you want to do ancient Greek to English, this way you start seeing the flaws of English. And for those of us who like to look down on people for not speaking very good English, like correcting people in every sentence, you know? I wonder if you know anybody like that. Um, where's Emmanuel? Are you talking? Where, where, where's the staff? All right. In English, for instance, you have, when we speak, we speak in two ways, right? We speak with the active voice or with the passive voice. So the active voice, you say something like this, I give advice. In the passive voice, that would be, I was giving advice. But you really just have the active and the passive. In ancient Greek, 
where this passage was written, you actually have three kinds of voices. You have the active voice and you have the passive voice, but you also have something called the middle voice. So rather than I give advice or I, I, am, I was giving advice, the middle voice would say, I take advice. Do you see it? It's somewhat, it's not fully passive and neither is it fully active. Which it is in the middle voice. And this passage is written in Greek. And a lot of the thinking behind how this thing was, uh, the kingdom of God and all these things were explained was also with Greek thinking, Greco-Roman thinking. And this is what I want to say, first of all. Participation in God's redemptive plan of growing the kingdom of God has always been intended to be done in the middle voice. Did you get that? Always done in the middle voice. Let me explain. In the first parable, we are told that the kingdom of God grows like a scattered seed. And, I'll read it first of all. It says, a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how. Say the next three words with me. All but, no, go ahead now, 28. All by itself. All by itself. The soil produces. The Greek word there is called automate, from which we get the word automatic. Automatically, the seed grows and it sprouts. It says the man does not even know how. It's the same thing with the mustard seed, right? It says it's like a mustard seed, verse 31, which is the smallest of all seeds. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the larger of all garden plants. Does the man know how? The one that planted, does he know how a seed actually grows into a tree? Can, have you ever? No. It is literally an act of God. God is the one that takes the seed and grows the seed supervises the growth of the seed up until it becomes a tree. God is the one that enables the seed to automatically produce grain. Are we following? God brings it to the end. And at the same time, God is the one that starts it at the beginning. Have you ever seen someone create a seed on its own? I know there are people are trying to do synthetic seed and all that. But a seed that actually produces, has anyone ever created a seed? Do you know anybody? Who's anybody here? I know we have brilliant people in this place. Anybody here? You're not that brilliant. Eh? Right? No, we are all not God. God is the one that initiates it. And God is the one that brings it to the end. It is all of God from start to finish. And guess what? That's how people are saved. God from start to finish. This is why he's called the Alpha and the what? This is why we look to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. You know why? If it were left to us, we'll mock it up. The only thing that we are good at when it comes to our salvation is actually trying to lose it. Right? Just check yourself. Imagine God gave the agenda of the kingdom of God to you. I mean to you. No, you, you, you. You. you if, if you are not sinning up and down, you are sleeping up and down. But God is the one who supervises from the beginning to the end. Jonah 2 verse 9 says that salvation is of the Lord. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who began this good work in you is faithful, what? To complete it. Because if it were left to us, we will mess the whole thing up. But thanks be to God that he does not depend on us. And this is why God has designed this in a way that only he gets the glory. Last week, Mojola told us about, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. Absolutely not. Glorify your Father that is in heaven. God from start 
to finish. So that he alone gets the glory. Amen. Automatically. Automatically. Touch your neighbor and say automatically. Automatically it grows. At least that doesn't have a neighbor. Just check behind there. All right. It's because you're wearing a Chelsea jersey. I mean. All right. So. Hey, now people don't want to be neighbors with losers. So. Say it. I dare you. Say it. Who, who was say it? Say it. Second is not a loser. Second is not. Second is not a loser. Well, uh, first, first, and eleventh is what? <laughs> wow, Chelsea people just talk anyhow. God from start to finish. It's all of God automatically. But, but, someone say but. There was a man that scattered the seed. There was a man. We can't ignore it. The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. God that does it from start to finish uses human beings. Without the man to scatter the seed, the seed will experience no growth normally. Without the man to water the seed, the seed will experience no growth normally. It is God from start to finish that grows the seed and makes it become a tree. Yes, but he uses men. Somehow men enter into the middle. Middle voice. You see, if men and women, we act in the middle voice when it comes to growing grains that produce fruit or growing trees that produce um, uh, 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 fruit and, and, and seed, and this is what is being likened to the kingdom of God, then guess what? You are not insignificant. You have a role to play. But we do it in the middle voice. This is the way God has always designed things. You see, Adam and Eve, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over all the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. You know why? God wanted them to act in the middle voice. In fact, when God created them, remember, he was created in his image. So, they were not creators, but they were not simply just like the other creatures. They were created in God's image. That is why God brought all the, all the animals and told Adam, name them. He was to exercise dominion, carry out the work of God on God's behalf, but he was to do that on animals that he never created. He was to till a garden that he never planted. And yet, as he's doing this, he's continuing the work of God. Somebody say problem started. You know where problem started? When Adam and Eve decided not to act in the middle voice, but now wanted to act in the active and the passive voice. When Eve ate of the tree that God said, don't eat from. You know what she was doing? She was trying to establish her own kingdom. She took up the active voice. She was trying to be like who? Like the creator. She took up the active voice. When God confronted Adam and said, what is this that you have done? Adam did not act in the active voice. No, no, no. He left that to his wife. He decided to act in the passive voice. Why? Because he blamed God. It's not my fault. It is you who gave me that woman. And so when we decide to step down, and stepping down is acting as though we should be in the active voice in growing God's kingdom, what happens? Eventually, we lose our place of dignity. This is how Satan then deceived them. But what Jesus Christ came to do was to restore that dignity back to us. 
You see, what Jesus did was he became a mediator. And mediator is the same thing as an intercessor. And the intercessor, mediator, you know what is common about them? They are people in the middle. Jesus came to defeat Satan. He said the Son of God came to destroy all the works of Satan. And then he gave us a name. And through that name, we can now begin to intercede between the God that is saving the world and the world that is trying to save. Can somebody say amen? So Jesus comes to restore us us to our middle voice place. He gives us dignity. God gets the glory and we get dignity. That is the design of the middle voice. Amen. And so how are we then called to participate? See, this is what happens in prayer. A lot of times we ask this question, if I don't pray, will things happen? But if it happens, then it's God depending on me. If you think about prayer in the middle voice, then you understand exactly what is going on. If you think about prayer just as the active voice, that unless I pray and decree a thing, it will not come to pass and all of those things, you are thinking of prayer as though we initiated the act or are we responsible for bringing it to pass. That's a problem. But if you think about prayer in the passive voice, we are simply, where we simply say God's will be done, as though our prayers aren't involved in enabling things that otherwise won't have happened unless we prayed. Are you following we pray in the middle voice. This is why he says concerning the kingdom of God. When they ask him, teach us to pray. He says what? Pray this way. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's the one doing it. But yet he brings us into the place of dignity to be able to continue our role as middle participants in growing his kingdom. So God has designed it in a way that he gets glory, but we get what? Amen. So, that takes us. Now, how then, let's go to the second uh, point where we talk about how are we going to act in our middle voice to enable the growth of the kingdom. Strategic participants. Now, this has everything to do with trees. 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 Somebody say trees. All right. If we are going to see how we play our middle voice role, or um, to engage as middle participants in the growing the kingdom of God, we have to think of a strategy for enduring growth. What did I say? A strategy for enduring growth. Why do I say that? Notice Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a tree. He said it's like a must. It's like it's when it grows, it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It's like a tree that has big branches that birds can perch in its shade. Now, when you think about a tree, a tree, has, a tree has roots, it has stem, and it has branches. In other words, a tree is a system. It's a system that enables some kind of life to go from the root all the way to the stem, or all the way to the branches, and then produces certain things. And so when I say that we have to think, if Jesus says it's like a tree, we also have to think strategically. And I'm going to give you five different kinds of roles that we can play based on this tree. Where's that tree itself? I didn't even see the tree. Based on this, based on this tree strategy, right? Right. We're going to look at five different things because I want you to leave this place today answering one question. And here's the question: What role has God called me to participate in? Well, no. Let me say it again. In what role has God called me to participate in growing the kingdom of God where I am? What is the role that God has given you? If you're a child of God, you have a role. Amen. All right. And so we're going to talk about. 
Prayers, partner, uh, planters, promoters, planners, and producers. If you didn't hear, don't worry. I'm going to go through all of them. All right? But please, I want you to ask which, what role has God called me to play? First one, let's start with the root, the root of the system. And the root, I'm sure you know, without a, the root, you have no tree, no living tree. The roots, in my mind, are really the most important part. The root is the most important part of the growth of the kingdom of God. What is the root of this system? Well, we call them prayers. I don't know, how do you call, I didn't want to put prayer warriors or prayer people. So, what, what people that are called, what's the noun for people that pray? I think they're just called prayers, yeah? No, 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 intercessory is some kind of prayer. Prayers, we just call them prayers, all right? I know it doesn't sound very good. I'm a prayer, there, there, whatever. It, it helps me for my alliteration, so there's nothing. All right, prayers. All right, without this, just like without the roots, a tree would not really work well. Without the prayers of God's people, our effect, the effect of the growth of God's kingdom will be limited. In fact, it will be negligible. Prayers are the most authentic display of our dependency on the God of the kingdom to grow his kingdom. Now, in each of these roles, I'm going to say, most of us, all of us are called to participate in them one way or the other, but you will be called to participate in one or two at most. And so in that regard, I'm also saying, whilst all of us, and hear me out very well, everybody is called to pray. Everybody is called to pray. Let's say that together. Everybody is called to pray. And yet, God is going to raise up some kind of warriors that are in this time going to advance his kingdom. Amen. You see, when you think about a time when God's judgment was on, upon a land and they needed a revival. You can think of the time of Ahab, right? The time of Ahab and Jezebel, all right? If there's an Adam, there's an Eve. If there's an Ahab, there's a Jezebel, right? Equal opportunity. We don't discriminate against genders in this church. The judgment of God came that there was no rain upon the land for three and a half years. And many of us think that Elijah just called the rain down. No, James tells us exactly how Elijah brought about, well, what he wanted to be a revival. James 5 verse 17. He says Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. That was the first thing. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And what did he do again? Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. God needs people that will pray the rain of the kingdom down. You see, it's not just even in the place of prayer. This doesn't just include people praying, but it comes with certain dimensions. It comes with a prophetic dimension. Because don't forget, Elijah who prayed, if you go back to the original story, at some point he told Ahab, Go and prepare. Why? Because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. This brings up, this speaks about the prophetic dimension to this thing. God needs people that will be able to see and see where the Lord is going. We don't just need people that will pray. We need prophetic intercessors as well. I know some of us are, you know, when we think about, one day I'm going to preach a sermon series. It's going to be called, um, you know, the likes of battle of the sexes. I've read this sermon series. You know what it's called? Well, you know what it's called? It's going to be called XYZ, the battle of the generations. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. You know, you like it. Right? You like it. Tomwa, put it down. XYZ. We are all, you know, there was a time. Bashing millennials was the thing. The problem now, millennials are now old. Millennials are now, all oh, this gen, 
Gen Z, Gen Z, Gen Z, Gen Z cannot look up. They always look down on their phone. Gen Z are good for nothing. Gen Z, da, 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 da. Gen Z, this, Gen Z, that. Let me tell you, I'm the biggest fan of Gen Z. I am biggest fan of Gen Z. Why? Because it's not just because I know God is working by faith. It's working in them. I have seen it. I have seen it. There's a client that we have where we are retreat. The woman, wonderful woman. She's into business, Catholic. She has a daughter. Her daughter finished with a first class. First class. And once the parents wanted her to go into, you know, go and get a job here and all that, she said she needed a gap year. Do you know what she's doing with the gap year? She gathered a group of people. They meet in Lekki here. All they just do is pray. I think they are called, Christ, what are they called to me? Uh, Christians that pray or believers that pray or something. I, they are, I'm not joking. Whenever we go to their place where there's retreat, when I just say, ah, maybe how are you? She's praying again. You can hear her. You walk up by night. She's just praying, 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 praying. Listen, God has said that the generation that we think has been lost to the world, God is gaining them back. God is raising an army and a warrior of people that will say, no, enough is enough for the kingdom of Satan to advance. That the, the reign of God shall come. They will come not just praying, but they will see things. There's a way the spirit of the Lord will come upon them. They will see clearly. I remember the time when Balaam, Balaam was hired to come and curse Israel. At that time, he was hearing from God by divination. By the time you get to number 24, he said he was no longer using divination. He was now hearing, in fact, he said the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then Balaam then said, he says, the eyes, the prophecy of Balaam, the eyes of one that sees clearly, the ears of one who hears the voice of the Lord, the, the one that sees visions of the Almighty. He says that the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord make them both. There are people that enter into the secret place of God and through that, they enable, God enables them to see things about his kingdom. Amen. It's not just about um, prophecy. It's not just about prayer. You know what it's also about? It's about music. It's also the place where those who are psalmists, not just musicians, those who are psalmists, enter into the presence of God and they write songs that, you know, there are songs and there are songs. You know, there's there's song that we sing Christian music, and then there are songs of deliverance. What's the difference between Christian music and song of deliverance? One is just written with a pen. The other one is written in the hidden place. It says that you are my hiding place, and then you what? You surround me with songs of deliverance. If there is a sound of the abundance of rain, it is because those that are prophetic intercessors, those who are psalmists and those who pray that the Lord send rain, they will arise. And I say, by the word of prophecy, you will arise. You will arise. Do it again, Lord. And it's through this also we'll see more signs and wonders. More signs and wonders. So that when people say, where is your God? You say, just look. But then we go to the stem. And in the stem, we have the next three. The next three, the first one we'll call planters. Planters. Remember that it says, a man scatters the seed. And in the previous, some of the, pre, uh, the two previous parables, one of the first one was that they scattered the seed and said the seed was the word of God. God is going to raise up people that are going to bring, you know, the danger with this particular one is this one that the people that are front and center of most of the thing. But God hasn't, the fact that some people have abused it, the fact that some people have turned it into celebritism, God has not stopped raising people. People that will plant the word of God in the heart of people. Listen, when it comes to advancing the kingdom, there is a message to be believed about the kingdom. 
There is a message. It says, Jesus went about preaching the good news. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So that people can only enter when they repent and believe the good news. But as I said before also, they are not just going to believe. Because if you just say, I believe, what's next? I just wait for Jesus to carry me to heaven. That's not the message of the gospel. The people who enter, the message that brought you in is also the message that will transform you once you are in. Question, where are you going to be transformed? And that's why we need platforms. We don't just need people that are going to plant the word, but we need people that will plant platforms where the word will continue to resound. Does that make sense? Right? For where people will be transformed. And so, one, you are going to need people who preach. Yes, preachers. You are going to need teachers. You are also going to need writers. People who will be writing and there's a way that people will read what you are saying and they'll be like, oh my God, I just need to fall on my face and worship. If there are people here that you have been writing and you are about to drop that pen, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will lift that pen back up again. If there are some of you here, you've been discouraged because people have not read what you've written. I say by the word of prophecy, go back to your keyboard again. For there is a people that God is preparing to hear the sound that is coming from your keyboard, just as the sound that is coming from this mic. God will raise people. In fact, God is going to raise content creators. Some of you, you are learning the art of content creation. Now, for one thing, that is not why God has prepared you. There is a message that is going to sound in your heart. And God is going to say, ah, I know I'm taking you through a detour. You must sound this message again. We need planters that will not just plant the word, but they will plant platforms where the word will continue to resound and be transforming people. Are you following me? So we have prayers, we have planters, and then the next one we have, we have what we call promoters. Promoters. Who are these? These are what I can call gospel patrons. Gospel patrons. And let me, in case you, you know when you say stuff like patrons, you say support. In case you are misunderstanding me, I'm talking about people with money. Ego. Owo. What's the last one? Kudi. Yeah? People that God is going to uniquely bless financially for the sake of what? The kingdom. See, in Luke chapter 8, 1 to 3, Luke chapter 8, it says that Jesus was going about proclaiming the kingdom. Notice what he did. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. What was he doing? No, say it. Proclaiming. So he's, essentially, Jesus is doing planting work. You know who he took with him? Other people that are doing planting work. He said, the 12 were... Now, if that's it, go back, go back. You say, oh, I'm sure they prayed before, right? And now they are, they are planting. In fact, if you read Matthew 9, right? It says that Jesus was also demonstrating the kingdom and planting the kingdom. Matthew 9, 35, 36. And then he says, ah, one time he looked at the whole place. He said that, ah, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his vineyard. So when people pray, the prayers, what eventually happens, the planters start to rise. And so some of people say, uh, that's the end. All we need is the people to pray and for the laborers to go into the field. Uh-uh. Look at verse 2. Notice what happens. He said, and so, and, and also, and also, he didn't just take plant, uh, uh, planters, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Wow. It's not a gender thing, right? Men to also carry evil spirits and diseases. It's just that women are more attracted to... Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay, you see. You see, I'm joking. Okay. 
See what I'm going to read now. All right, I'm going to read something that will pacify you guys. It says, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven, maybe I told you, from whom seven demons came had come out. No, let's move on, let's move on. Joanna, the wife of Chosa, and the, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. Why are these women important? Is it just because they were transformed? No. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. If you think about Lydia, another woman, it was Lydia that bankrolled the church in Philippi. If you think about Phoebe, she bankrolled a lot of people and also she was a benefactor to Paul. Even though they may be attracting the demons, they are also attracting the money as well. Nothing, not like that. No, no, no. All right. Which one do you want to choose? Ladies, money is coming to you. And demons are leaving you as well. The point here, guys, is this. And not only that, there was a guy called Barnabas in the early church, the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas sold a field that he had and laid it at the apostles' feet. I'm not just saying all of us are going to give. We'll give our tithes and offerings. But I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. That God is going to bless some people uniquely. God is going to rain his blessings upon them in a way that will carry this gospel and spread it abroad. Listen to me. Some of us, whether you are in businesses, you are going to experience unusual success. I did say success. For those of you, all of us that keep giving will get success. Alright? Amen? Say amen. But God has handpicked some people that you, you yourself... There was one person that told me one time, called me, said, he said, the money that we are making on this business, he said in Yoruba, he said, he said, oh, yeah, oh, that. That the money is not good. He didn't mean that they were doing illegally. He was saying the, the money was raining in. That rain will never stop in the name of Jesus. For some of you, there is going to be an extraordinary ascendancy that you will experience in your career. And when they say it is going to make 23 years for you to make partner, you will say knock out the two and just make the two, put a multiplication between two and three. It will be six years in the name of Jesus. Listen, because platforms are expensive. I mean, literally and figuratively, this platform that you are seeing, this one, this one, eh? landing cost, don't let me tell you. Platforms are expensive. Chairs, rent, all of those things. But our God is more than enough because the cattle on seven hills belong to him. Are you saying that God is going to set up a kingdom and he cannot finance that kingdom? I'm looking forward to a day and I tell you that day is going to come to pass. We as a church, we're looking for a building. I don't want to come here and say, can we donate, 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 donate. I want two people, two people that will say, how much is it? 10 billion. Forget it, Pastor Femi, go and preach. I said that time is coming for the growth of the kingdom. Amen. We need people that will pray. And after they pray, we need people that will what? Plant. And after that, we need the people that will plant, that will promote the people that will plant. Just as the wealthy Joseph of Arimathea provided the grave for the Messiah's body to rise, I pray that some of you will provide the platform for the Messiah's message to resound. But then one more at the step. Ah, maybe this one is even the one that excites me the most because people don't talk about it. We need planners. We need planners. Somebody say we need planners. I call this the ministry of optimization. Without them, everything that has happened before is going to waste. It will waste. What do I mean? Listen, if, you, if you're a farmer, if you're just depending on rain to come and uh, wet your, um, your, your seed, your soil and all of that during the time of rain, what if the rain is shortened? What if there is a drought that often happens? Why is it that some uh, farmers thrive even when there is shortage of rain? Do you know why? 
because they built something called an irrigation system, isn't it? So that the small rain that comes, they have a way of not wasting other rain that doesn't come down on the plant. So they are able to store rain and at some point, eventually feed the plant even whilst it's dry season. Are you following me? If you don't have that kind of system, then some of the blessings that you receive will be wasted. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel have come out of, of, of Egypt. And now they are, um, they are at the point where, okay, God has saved them and all of that. But the fact that God saves you doesn't mean that you don't have problems. Ooh, amen to that. The fact that God has saved you doesn't mean that you don't have relational problems. Amen to that. So the people needed to always know the will of God concerning the matter. They needed judgment. They needed to hear the counsel of God. And God had blessed them. God had given a channel to hear the counsel. God had blessed them with the reign of God's will. Are you following me? There was a problem. What was the problem? Only one person was giving the judgment. To a couple of millions of people. Only one person. And at some point, people will come. Because they couldn't see Moses, because of time, they will go back home, come back. Until Moses' father-in-law came and said, what you are doing is not good. You know what he said? He said, devise a system whereby you can divide the people into groups and appoint men over them that would be over 1,000s and will be over hundreds and will be over tens and all of those things. Once you do that, he said, you know what will happen? You will survive and the people will go home satisfied. In other words, look at what is happening. God has sent the rain after people have prayed, he sent the rain of his counsel. But it was systematization or organization that enabled the blessing of God to be optimized. I'll give you another example. We often think about the, the feeding of the 5,000, Abi. Jesus fed 5,000. What happened with the feeding of 5,000? We just think, okay, five loaves, two fish, and that was it. Oh, there was something else. If you read Mark 6, verse 39 to 40, there was something else that happened. Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to pray. You know what Jesus first said? Jesus directed them to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And then they sat down. He said, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Do you know why that was important? Because if Je Jesus was always going to pray and multiply the food. If Jesus had multiplied the food and not told them to sit down in groups, you know what would have happened? A stampede would have happened and the blessing of God would have ended up being a disaster. They would have wasted all the food. I am saying that as we pray, as people promote, as we do all of these things, that God is going to raise up people that can think systematically, people that can think in an organized way, that will enable that the blessing of God will never be wasted. Listen, this is the difference. What is the difference between an outpouring and a revival? This is the difference. Many times people come together, we see God move and all of those things. That is an outpouring. A revival is only something that we can look back on and say, ah, because of this, my life was changed. Not just because I was falling down, not just because we had a wonderful worship experience. The thing that turns an outpouring into a revival is what? Organization. So that it doesn't flame out. And what turns a revival into having it to have a lasting legacy? Institutionalization. And so if we're going to be seeing God's mighty hand move in different places, we need people that know how to be operational strategists, network builders, leadership development, all of those things. Why? So that the blessing of God will be optimized and not wasted. Can I get an amen? This is how the kingdom of God grows. Which leads me to the final part. All of these... You don't pluck tree, um, 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 fruit. Have you ever plucked fruit from a stem? Have you ever plucked um, leaves from a root? No, you need what? The branches. 
And this is where we have the final one, producers. Producers. Who are the producers? They are the ones from which the general public eventually comes to find shade under or they come and eat the fruit from. You see, many times people just want to, ah, God, I want to be a wonderful man of God, wonderful man of God. What you're basically saying is I want to be able to stand here and preach. Let me tell you, most of what, the fruit of what this church has done has not been people having direct access to me. That shows the truth. It is the people who are seated here. You go out into the world. People may see you as anonymous, but in the eyes of the Spirit, there is no anonymity. And that's why, you know, one of my favorite parts of the entire Bible, I love to read the greetings at the end. Many people don't. It's like films. We don't like reading the credits. These are the credits of the epistles. Paul is basically trying to tell you, I didn't do this alone. Why is it? Why, why, why do we have Paul begging that Eudoia and the syndicate, they should not fight. Why is that in the Bible? Why is that part of the inspirational word of God? Who, who is Yoda and who is syndicate? See, I plead with Yoda and plead with syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. What does that have to do with the kingdom of God? Who are they? Let's talk about Paul, the man that wrote how many books in the New Testament. That's who we need. We just need people that can platform. no. Listen to what he says about them. He says concerning them. Why? Because he said, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Anytime you read the reading, the, the letters of Paul or the letters of other people and you see the greetings, the greetings are a testament to the branches of their trees. And so when people have been transformed by the work of prayers, by the work of plant, planner, planters, by the work of promoters, by the work of, uh, 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 of planners, the people that are transformed like that, God now says, now go out into the world. And so now, all of a sudden, you see somebody who is, who is comfortless, you pray for them. All of a sudden, they felt something about the kingdom of God. You see somebody that is in a low estate, you lay your hands on them. They felt something about the kingdom of God. Somebody is sick because you heard that by his stripes we are healed. You put your hand on them and they come back to life. Somebody needs an encouragement. You give an encouragement. All of a sudden, you are bringing a branch. Hallelujah. This is how the kingdom of God grows. Amen. If we adopt this strategy, I can tell you, ah, the kingdom of God will grow. It has already been growing because this has always been the strategy for it to grow some more. Guys, we must be in the business of growth. We are growing spiritually, qualitatively, but we must also grow numerically. So I ask you, what role has God called you to play in all of this? You have to discern. We're going to pray about that, but you have to discern that. But before that, I, will, I do want to say something. As a church, we too have to think about that. There are things that you guys individually have to do, but sometimes as a church, we have to think, how can we create an opportunity for us to grow this kingdom in the way it has been committed to City Church? I'll tell you, because there's an announcement I want to make on something that we want to do. That we'll do that. It may come with some kind of inconvenience, but at the same time, we're saying, we're not looking to our own convenience. We're looking to growing the kingdom. So, on July 2nd, starting July 2nd, that Sunday, July 2nd, we are going to start meeting in two services. Yeah, you know, it's half-hearted clap. Some clap here, some clap there. The people that are clapping are the people that like to dance. Right? They like to dance and they are cramped. So, we are going to divide our services into two. Alright? So, one will be, um, I think most likely, one will be eight, 
and the other one will be 10. And somebody will say, but I won't see everybody again. Yes, you won't see everybody again. In fact, some people will say, I won't even know more people again if we start to grow. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, it's not first and foremost about you being connected to everyone. It's about everyone being connected to the kingdom of God. We want to see more people coming. Amen. Amen. And the second thing I would announce is about our gospel communities. Our gospel communities, we often say, is where we do life together. True. Our gospel communities, where we, where we laugh, we, we say spell. Uh, study, uh, study, pray, eat, love, and laugh. Okay. Fine. But you notice, all of those things are about building community, which is important. But it's not about being missional. It really doesn't. It doesn't have a growth strategy to it. It's really about, okay, let's start this gospel community. They love each other, invite more people, invite more people, invite more people. And then all of a sudden, the gospel community can become like a core group for another church plant. I know one of them like that, or two of them like that. So we want to actually update the philosophy of our gospel community so that it can enable more people to come. Because sometimes, even when the gospel communities are too big, some people just get lost in it. Five people dominate the conversation. No, we want people to actually want to grow more leaders. We want people to actually feel community more. We also want the opportunity for all for things to grow as well. So, from the next time of our gospel communities, we're going to implement a strategy that is going to limit the size of our gospel communities. Once you get to a certain level, we are splitting the gospel communities. Some of you, some of our gospel communities are already going to be split. Some people are coming. Oh, wow. So, some of the gospel communities are already going to be split. And the, the thing is, we're going to put this in this way. We're encouraging you to grow. Once you get to a particular level, we are splitting that and we are starting with some new ones. Amen. Now, again, some of us will love it, some of us won't like it, but it is because we want to grow the kingdom. If we are committed to this thing about the tree strategy, you would know that we have to inconvenience ourselves for the one who inconvenienced himself for us. Amen. Amen. Finally, finally, my third point, and then we'll pray. Um, I just want to underscore this thing I've been saying. Because and I said flourishing part, uh, part participants is the, is the third point. I'm calling us to live differently. You see, many of us here, we are busy. Our time is precious. You don't leave your house on a Sunday morning and go to gospel community on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, give your tithes, commit all of these things just because you want to do church where you are meeting with people. No. Guys, come on. Even with your work, at some point you say, I want to live for something bigger. There is nothing bigger than living for the kingdom of God. Does it require something from you? Yes. That's why you know that you're living for something that is big because you are putting your life into it. And I'm saying I want us to give our lives to this. And somebody will ask why. First thing is, as I said before, it will give you, I can guarantee, results. My results are always a good motivation to commit to something. But also, I want to appeal to something, which is this whole street strategy is at the heart of how God has designed the growth of his kingdom. What do I mean? Not just in the strategy, but that everything about the advancement of the kingdom of God, the growth of the kingdom of God, you know what it's all about? It's all about trees. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about trees. What do I mean by that? Listen, the kingdom of God's growth was spoiled by a tree. It was redeemed by a tree and it will culminate at a tree. What does that mean? Listen, we already spoke about how Adam and Eve brought disaster upon the world, right? It was Satan that deceived them. And when they sinned, we have, how did they sin? By eating from what? A tree. We said that they 
took on the active voice and the passive voice. But on the other side, you know what was happening? Satan was devising his own strategy to grow his own kingdom. By deceiving them in eating from that tree, Satan, they thought they were growing their own kingdom, but they were advancing the kingdom of Satan. And every single one of us, when we act in the active voice or the passive voice in trying to grow our own kingdom, do you know what we are doing? We are also growing the kingdom of Satan. And so the kingdom of Satan has been growing and then you have God's kingdom. And that's why the Bible says that the kingdom of God allows for violence and the violence that take it by force. There's going to be a collision course of the two kingdoms. And God set up that collision course by beating Satan at his game. God always allows Satan to set the terms and then God enters it and actually defeats Satan. What do I mean by that? If Satan plunged the whole world into darkness by a tree, God said, on your own terms, I will defeat you. I will redeem the whole world again by a tree as well. Take me to 1 Peter 2 verse 24. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body or what? on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness even though adam and eve went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil jesus christ went to the tree of god's wrath so that we will not suffer that wrath but will live unto righteousness somebody say amen and so if you are here today and you've not known that jesus can i tell you you have an invitation to come into the kingdom of god he said that he bore your sins you don't have to sin you don't have to uh, take the consequences of your sin. Jesus lived the perfect life. The life you could not live. And he died the death that you deserve to die. So that you can live eternally. He went to the tree of wrath. So that we don't go there. Now somebody say, well, is that how it all ends? Just that? Because I've actually believed in Jesus Christ. And I still, I still fall sick. I still sin here and there. This is not where God is taking us. It started with a tree that wanted to spoil things. It was redeemed by a tree. But listen, as we live our lives, as we hold on to God, he says the kingdom of God's growth is eventually going to culminate in a tree again. In Revelation verse 2, chapter 2, verse 7, this is what he says. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Believers, know this, that your faith in the Lord shall not be wasted. Know this, that your perseverance in the Lord is not for no reason. The Lord will bring you to the tree of life in the name of Jesus. I said the Lord will vindicate us, will vindicate our trust in Him. He will bring us to the tree of life. But there's one more thing. If he redeems us at the tree of wrath, Jesus Christ dying for us and he's taking us to the tree of life. And he says we should implement a tree strategy. That seems to be really a lot more like trees. But what about us? How? Yeah, we should participate. But I don't really look like a tree. This whole tree thing. You see, those who the Lord is going to use to implement this tree strategy, they're also going to be trees. You see, when people believe in the Lord, Jesus Christ, He doesn't just make you... You see, when we come into the church and all of those things, we come in broken. I don't know if there's someone broken here today. You feel like everything in your life has fallen apart. We come in as though we've lost some things. Or some of us just came in here stale. God's agenda is to flourish the people that are planted in His house. So that for the broken, he rebuilds. For the, those who have lost something, 
he restores. For those who come in still, he renews. Wow! He says, when you are connected and you are planted in the house of the Lord, he will make you like a flourishing tree in Psalm 92. He says this in Psalm 92 verse 13 and 14. At verse 12 and 13, he says, the righteous, the righteous, remember, he says, he died to sin so that we could live to righteousness. And so now he says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. And verse 13, they will be called, no, no that's no, you didn't. Yeah, you spoke. Sorry. They were planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Because when you come into the house of the Lord, He flourishes us by rebuilding us, by restoring us, and by renewing us. Why does He do that? Because the trees in the house of the Lord are also sent out in the world, into the world. Those who are righteous, eventually, as Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, he says, I will use you to implement my kingdom agenda. He said, you shall be called, what? Trees of righteousness or oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor for he is the one that gets glory. And verse 4, let's all read verse 4 together. They will rebuild the ancient... I didn't hear it loudly. They will shed ruins and and they will you see what God does you see what God does God brings you into his kingdom through a tree strategy and he makes you flourish as a tree and then he sends you out that the thing the way you were rebuilt the way you were restored the way you were renewed he can now send you out to go and do that you will flourish in the name of jesus christ the lord will make you flourish in this house and whatever house that you have sent you to the lord will flourish you i pray that the lord will flourish all houses that call upon the name of the lord in this city the kingdom of god will grow the kingdom of god will advance we will be faithful in our generation let us rise to our feet thanks for listening if you found the sermon helpful we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.